afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Nice, tight one-hour show for you again today. We did the three-hour postmortem on Monday. There are a few things still to, to check off, a few hypotheticals. Uh, yesterday, we heard from Ross Atkins in the first half of this show, and then Chris Black and I broke it down. Drew Fair Service is going to join us in a couple minutes. Uh, but the highlight item, the, the headline item for today is I want your questions. I, I want to know what you're most curious about or what the most pressing thing is for you heading into the offseason. So text us at 590-590. Include your name and location so we can shout you out. Um, had a couple come in on, on Twitter earlier as well. Um, you can do that too, although I generally don't have my Twitter up during the show. So uh, you might be better off texting 590-590. This is, you know, we've had a couple days now. We've had the the defeat on Saturday. I think everyone kind of took an off day from baseball on Sunday uh, here in the city. I can't imagine the ratings were as high as they would have been otherwise for Padres Mets games game three. And then Monday was an off day around baseball, but it was a I mean, a holiday for some of you, and then uh, uh, figure this all out, sort through the wreckage day here on Jay's Talk Plus. And we talked to Ben Nicholson-Smith, and we talked to a few other people uh, about what went wrong and what needs to happen next. Again, heard from Ross Atkins yesterday. Not a lot of information there. Um, In terms of payroll flexibility, which is kind of my biggest question, given that with some arbitration estimates and the current money owed, they project already to about this year's team salary. Uh, They did not give a lot away about what the payroll flexibility is going to be. We we also heard from Ross Atkins talk about things like Ross Stripling, where he was, you know, at first suspiciously vague and then kind of circled back to it and it wasn't quite as vague. Um, We heard about John Schneider, who it sounds like will be back. They're going to go through the process Anyway, but as uh, as Ross Atkins said, um, going to be hard to find someone who they think fits better than John Schneider. We also heard probably the the part of Ross Atkins' availability that was most firm and unflinching because it, it was a lot of vagueness, which is uh, fine. That's what these availabilities usually are. Um, there are very few GMs out there who give a ton away. Um, now some people give nothing away a little more energetically, a little more entertaining, but it it doesn't change, um, what was said underneath. The big thing though, was he was asked in a couple different ways about if they might change the core, if they've lost faith in the core, if they still think this is a step forward. And he was pretty consistent that he thinks the young group here is the young group to continue moving forward with it and building around. So some big question marks heading in the off season for sure. Um, You have exactly two pitchers that you're confident in being top of the rotation guys. And then you've got $50 million in question marks in your rotation, 20 million of which in Hyunjin Ryu um, you're expecting if he were to even get back, it would be late in the year Um, that might hold up things like insurance kickbacks. Um, You have to wait and find out exactly how much time he has missed for things like that. So that might be more of a 2024 budget element, um, and then you have Yusei Kikuchi and Jose Brios, who you're hoping for bounce backs from, especially Brios, who uh, has six years left on his deal. Now, the encouraging thing is that Alec Manoa, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, your young core, they're all under contract. Alejandro Kirk, everyone is 
locked in. Um, the only free agents the Jays have are Ross Stripling, David Phelps, Jackie Bradley Jr., and then they have a team option on Anthony Bass that seems like a lock to be picked up. So we'll see how they operate. They Having a lot of pieces in place is a nice thing, obviously. It means that your floor, if nothing happens this offseason, is pretty solid. You bring back a, a team that's won 90 games two years in a row and made the playoffs, you can work from there. At the same time, this group just came up short and lost two games of nothing to the Seattle Mariners, who uh, if you were back to watching playoff baseball yesterday and had shaken off the bad Jays feelings, uh, I don't know if that one made you feel better or worse. It could have made you feel better because the Mariners did the exact same thing that the Jays did to let the Mariners move on. Uh, But also maybe you wish the Blue Jays had been in that position instead. Robbie Ray coming in in relief, giving up a bomb to Jordan Alvarez. Um, The highest single event win probability plate appearance of the baseball season so far for Jordan Alvarez. So that's pretty cool. You know, you had to walk off with two outs. Um, so again, the Jays have some, they have a, a baseline here. They have some flexibility. They have some tough decisions too. They have some tough decisions around Ross Stripling, who will be 33 next year and is a free agent. Do you qualifying offer him? Do you, that's not a verb, by the way. Do you give him the qualifying offer? Um, do you try to work out a, a longer term deal with him? Do you let him go and, and say, thanks, we got a, a great value out of you. Um, go get your your bag somewhere else. You have a couple non-tender questions to, to sort through with uh, Rymel Tapia and some of the lesser bullpen arms. And then you have some big questions with the bullpen in terms of, well, it's uh, most of those pieces are back. The depth is there. But is there enough? high-end stuff let's having reset that table let's uh let's bring in drew fair service of the spin rate podcast see what he has to say about all of this uh drew before we get into any of that though uh robbie ray being used in that spot last night and throwing a pair of two seamers right over the middle to jordan alvarez did that make you feel better or worse about saturday well watching them light robbie ray up was more than enough more than enough. And then your poor, I mean, I feel bad for Robbie Ray in that situation because he was set up to fail. Like just walk Jordan Alvarez, <laughs> like move on. Like, what are you, what are you trying to do there? It's got service getting way too cute. Yeah. A little too cute there. Normally we're pro cuteness here on, on Jay's talk plus, but in that situation, uh, a little less. So drew with the Jays eliminated, I know you're a big baseball fan Overall, not just a, a Jays person, but um, does that elimination change your your interest level in, in the rest of the playoffs, or at least in the the divisional series here? Like, do you need a, a emotional refractory period here before you dive back in? No, I'll stay with it. I watched most of the Yankees Guardians last night. Uh, caught a bit of the Dodgers. It, I, I like to see. I like watching good teams. Um, which, you know, the playoffs offer in spades. I like watching good pitching matchups, which you can get a lot of. Um, I like watching. I, I also, <laughs> I've become this weird, like, absolutist where I want I, I want the best team to win. Like, I, I feel like it's there's, like, justice in that, where in, in some ways, not necessarily the, the biggest team, but I don't know. I just, and without the race to root against, it, it just makes it easier to be a bit of an impartial advisor right? or uh, observer, I guess. Well, this is the thing, is we get to 
move from cheering for laundry to cheering for players and moments and cool games like entertainment. Uh, you don't have to go by the by the laundry. Uh, I am curious though, Drew, when you look around the remaining field in that in Major League Baseball's playoffs. Do you take any lessons from any of the teams still in it, whether it's, you know, the Phillies and how they handled Rob Thompson or the Braves and how they've managed their young core, even even a team like the Guardians or the Mariners who, you know, made it a little further than, than the Jays, even though we thought the Jays were, were better on paper. Um, what do you take from the eight teams still in it? Well, I, I think that what we've seen and it's been happening for the better part of a decade now is that, in the in the playoffs in particular, your weakest bullpen links can and should be replaced by starters who are available, mm. which we saw not work out last night with Robbie Ray, but we also saw it on in game in a game on Saturday against the Blue Jays when like just because it's sort of it's a bit of a rinse of a lot of the 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 kind of tired narratives and things that we hear and see all the time. There's so much talk. Blue Jays need more. Experience. They need more, you know, established guys. They need more high-end arms. And you know, you look at watch Seattle, and they went to a guy who'd never pitched in relief before, just coming out and, and in a one-run game with an opportunity to eliminate the uh, the opposition, and and it worked. And you've seen that over the years with the Red Sox did, did it really well. The, the the Astros did it in 2017. Obviously, the Madison Bumgarner was sort of like the the the, the beginning of it. So. I look at that and I see that that's a way to kind of cover up some of your the shortcomings and maybe the Blue Jays, whether or not it it was a reflection on, on how they viewed him and them, but like maybe we can ask the question like why didn't we see Jose Barrios on Saturday afternoon as an example? Well, I was going to say as a follow up to your thing is that strategy only works if you have good good starting pitchers so if you are of the mind that jose brios was not a was no longer a good or effective starting pitcher at least for the remainder of this year then that's a a harder thing to account for but yeah we saw the jays do it a little bit in 2020 they brought robbie ray out of the bullpen to much better effect in 2020 than uh than the mariners (laughs) did last night and certainly you can i mean the rays take that to the absolute extreme where they have shane mcclanahan and then an army of guys who could throw three or four innings as a starter out of the bullpen, whatever Corey Kluber in the, the 13th, 14th, whatever. Um, there are, there are more ways to, uh, to build like that. Um, when you look around at some of the teams who are back in the playoffs and have made more sustained runs here. And I think in baseball, when it's 162 game regular season and then playoff series are very short. Um, yes. The team that wins the world series wins and they deserve all the credit. If we're evaluating an era of a team, I find it a little more helpful to zoom out and and see something like, okay, well, the Braves have a number of division titles in a row, or the Dodgers have been in the mix for like nine or 10 years here um, with that kind of rotating core. The teams that have the Astros as well, of course, um, the teams that are there year after year in recent baseball, do you see any sort of trend or lesson from those that the Jays might be able to pull from as they try to turn you know, this first year back in the playoffs disappointment into a more, you know, the sustainable every year playoff team that, that they think this core can be. Playing a worst division. Yeah. Like, that that helps. We don't, we don't need to get any more cute than that. And, and it, there's so much con conversation this week about, you know, what the Jays have done wrong and all the different shortcomings. And 
like maybe I'm an apologist, but like I don't I don't see it that way. All the things the Blue Jays have done are the same things that the Dodgers have done, except they don't have the Diamondbacks and the Rockies to beat up on. Having two bad teams and then a third mediocre team like the Giants were this year, or like you know the, we saw the Padres collapse last year, it goes an awful long way to getting propped up. And then when you have the other, uh, you know, even more incompetence around you, I think it makes a difference. I think that we're having a completely different conversation about the Blue Jays. If they even won, if, even if nothing else was different, but they won 96 games, right? Do we, are, we, are, we, are we talking about them differently? Are those four extra games or five extra games? Are those, is that changing the conversation? Well, that's what happens when you play against a bad team 38 times a year. Now the dot like again the Dodgers are are the are the model. The Dodgers is a team that their player development model is is enviable. But like, what about the Blue Jays player development model? Right? They the homegrown shortstop, homegrown first baseman, home two and three homegrown homegrown guys behind the plate. You might as well count uh, Teoscar Hernandez as a homegrown guy because they've turned him from 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 like a, a shiny toy into like a very very good offensive outfielder out the, the opening day the guy who started game one of the of the playoffs was was drafted and developed by the blue jays like i, I think the blue jays need a bit more credit and i i find it a little odd that there's so much like trying to shovel dirt onto the grave of a team that is in a lot of ways should be the envy of like a lot of the teams around the league just because they lost two games to seattle i, I think it's crazy but but i think that that the the thing that the dodgers do the best and the thing that Atlanta has done really well, I think, as well, is like just a, a follow-up wave of, of position players, of homegrown position players, that then you can, A, which we've seen the Blue Jays do trade from to kind of augment and like go for it now, but also just to like have that depth around the, around the diamond. The Dodgers do that so much better than anyone, right, that it puts them in a position to be able to acquire Mookie Betts and then sign Mookie Betts and then assign Freddie Freeman and acquire Trey Turner and Max Scherzer like they did last year. Like that that pipeline that is just so robust in, in L.A., the Blue Jays maybe aren't quite there yet, right? A lot of the food is on the table when you look at the, the Blue Jays organization and what, they, what, the, what the front office has been able to do in the six or seven or eight years that they've been around, however long it is, six years. Um, but I think that that's the next level is like just amping up the production and like having even more robust um, uh, in, internal options to either fill out the roster, guys who can come in and contribute in different ways, or to serve as even more trade fodder for bringing in major league ready replacements. And we hear all the right things about the player development system. And, and, you know, this front office took over at the end of 2015. So it's, it's hard to exactly measure um, its success yet, partially because everything's so random in baseball and you've traded some of the prospects away. Some of the, it certainly looks like some of their draft day decisions were more about how quickly can a guy rise to being a trade asset rather than how quickly can he, or effectively can he get to the majors? Um, But we'll see there. There are some of those guys coming up over the next, couple years so um once you get into the years of oh vlad and bo and manoa are more expensive uh we'll see we'll see if that side uh pays off the other thing the dodgers do better than anyone else is money um so they they spend a lot of it and i think the the key to player development we've learned is money and just like injecting players with money is is the only explanation for why the dodgers do it way better um drew you did you you made a good point there in lining it up that it is, as you texted me earlier, you know, the doom and gloom around the where the Blue Jays are at right now is a little extreme. There are 
you know, there were questions about what does Ross Atkins' future look like? Obviously, we can't ask Ross Atkins that yesterday. Um, Mark Shapiro hasn't done a media availability. But in your estimation, that is premature and not even premature, just unfounded. Um, what is your kind of, I know you gave us a little bit of it there, but your, your feeling on the job Atkins has done or the job this, you know, front office group has done, if you want to consider them one kind of collaborative whole. I think that, that, you know, the Blue Jays are very much process oriented, which I think some people don't like, especially when the results in terms of like world championships or deep playoff runs aren't there. But I, I, my question becomes like, what else, you know, I, I think maybe there's a bit of a blind spot from the front office in terms of what they needed needed in the bullpen. You know, they did go out and sign uh, Jimmy Garcia, which was like very much kind of the guy that 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 I think we would love to see them um, uh, clone and have multiple guys who throw 96, 97 and can throw you know multiple pitches and, and get and get out and be super effective while still being hard throwing and, and with with strikeouts. But like it. Some some of the some of the criticisms I saw people were talking about bad contracts. They're all giving out so many bad contracts. Like like Tanner Roark was a name that was evoked, um, you know, just like yesterday. No Monday, sorry, it was Monday. As if Tanner Roark's contract was preventing the Blue Jays from doing anything, uh, you know, peanuts in baseball terms. So I think that people are kind of groping around looking for things to to kill him for. I think that the Matt Chapman trade is a great example of the Blue Jays as an organization, A, targeting a, a very specific area of need, targeting something that they knew was a weakness on their club last year and addressing it directly and doing so at great expense. They could have, you know, if the Blue Jays were, uh, you know, as cheap or as focused on just putting up the minimal viable product to keep the, the dollars running in on TV and, and, and whatever else, they Kevin Smith would have been the starting third baseman on this team, right? A combination of Kevin Smith or San Diego Espinal or Kevin Vigio, it would have been way cheaper to do that. Instead, they take on Matt Chapman. They trade away those years of control. They trade away, you know, a guy who could step in and was like big league ready as well as, uh, I can't remember his name now, the, the other piece, the, the big uh, farm that went back to Oakland. But like that, if the Blue Jays didn't, didn't want to get better, they, could, they didn't have to make that trade, but they did. They took on like $20 million of extra salary and they lost all, that year, all those years of control. And that was an amazing trade. All year long, we talked about what a great trade that was. It was exactly what they needed and it was exactly what they did. You know, because Jose Ramirez wasn't gonna, wasn't up there, that trade wasn't going to happen. Ramirez didn't want to go. He took a, he took less money to stay. So I, I think that there is like again, we can talk about the Kikuchi being being a, a gamble that hasn't or won't pay off, or you know, looking at the Barrios deal, which I think is a little bit premature because while he was bad this year, you don't have to look very deeply to see that in every almost every way he was the same guy he's always been. I think it was just a, it's a matter of command, a matter of confidence. And the thing that I've been saying for most of this season is like, they call it life changing money for a reason. It changes your life. And, and that can be disruptive and that can be, and that can be hard to, to adapt to. And I mean, it's human. Everybody's human. Do you 24 think or 26? That's a lot of money. This can screw you up. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, so do you, do you think part of, why there's maybe uh, a quickness to go to the doom and gloom other than, you know, baseball is a frustrating sport, right? Like you can be the better team and, and lose that happens sometimes. Um, that part of it is understandable. I, I'm curious though, if you see anything in the fact that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Bobachet and to a much lesser extent, because he's so much earlier on Alec Manoa, um, those guys aren't 
locked up yet. Now, I know that financially that's more than fine. These guys are, because of baseball's salary structure, those guys are very underpaid and providing you a ton of surplus value right now to uh, be an egghead about human beings. Um, But I do wonder if uh, you, you know, a Jays fan looks around at Atlanta having all these core pieces locked up. And again, that's a risk pooling strategy with a lot of guys who maybe aren't quite the Vlad Botier and they're trying to hit on, you know, five of the eight or something like that. It's not a perfect comparison, uh, but there are teams out there who have locked up some key pieces long-term. Do you, do you think that's a part of it? Like I, I have gone back and forth on would fans accept this loss a little easier if those guys were locked up because there's that level of certainty or would it have even made it worse because those guys got their contracts and then the team didn't advance in the playoffs i don't really know where i actually land on that drew but i'm curious uh where you do i I think that that what you said right at the end is what i would agree with the most that if the blue jays win and they've got them locked up everything is great but if the blue jays lose and they've got them lined up and then there are you know kind of worst case scenario uh, sorts of outcomes start to show up, well, then that's just more reason to kill the general manager for giving away terrible contracts. I would say that that one of the reasons that I wouldn't have extended Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. thus far is who, which, which version of those guys you extended, right? Like, I don't mm-hmm. think this is like a Julio Rodriguez situation where, like, his floor and ceiling are pretty clear. But which lad are you signing to a nine- or ten-year deal? Are you signing... Are you signing like very nice player, 130, uh, you know, in a down year, sort of 130, weirder runs created plus kind of guy, 880 or 850, whatever OPS? Or are you signing the 1000 OPS monster? Um, You've seen one of them a lot more often than you've seen the other. So maybe that's a a concern. You know, I think that if if it's me, if it's my money, I'm going to give it to Vlad because I think he's shown – um, a lot of growth, and I think his floor is a lot higher. Are, who are you looking to be in the 29-year-old second baseman Bobuchet business at 25 million dollars a year? I don't know that I am. Yeah, but I think a- that, that. And at, at any point in this season, up until like whatever August the 20th, you would have been insane to have su- suggested that they give him one of these big big deals because that floor is, can be pretty low. And what's that going to age like? So those are those are questions worthwhile having, and and it's. And, and, and at the end of the day, you're right, at the end of the season, after 162 games, Bobichev's numbers are fine. But those questions are still there, and, and I think it's worth having them. And Alec Manoa, you know, if he wants to take my money, he can have it. Absolutely. Just back a big old truck. It's got to be a big truck. It's a big guy. So bring it up to his house. Yeah, I the size of the truck, it has to handle the Florida highways where everything is probably a truck. Um, so, yeah, you've you've got to navigate that element of it as well. Um so you mentioned a couple things there, and the Bobochet thing is a difficult one. Um, you know, the Austin Riley comp that, that's been out there, you know, Riley's a little more projectable defensively, even if he's at a, a slightly less valuable defensive spot. Um, obviously had a, you know, a more consistent season. Um, there are some tough decisions there. Now, we can kind of zoom out, and to your earlier point about this team being in a pretty good spot to move forward from, you have those pieces. You have those three guys. You have Kirk. You have a surplus of of good young catchers who who can play both sides. Um, you have some things to work with from there. You, you could bring back almost this exact team, and there will be a 90-win team probably. Now, if you're heading into this offseason, Drew, 
obviously just running it back is not enough. You're going to add or tweak or, or tinker somewhere. What is at the top of your priority list if you're Shapiro and Atkins? You know, it's, it's, it's a tough question. I think Atkins, uh, Ross Atkins made a good point yesterday, which is like digging into is the same sameness of our lineup, does it make us easier to pitch against? That was sort of, I'm paraphrasing Ross Atkins. And I think it's a worthwhile quote to have. At the same time, how are you going to improve on what was the best offense in baseball by OPS plus, right? Like that's, it's hard to improve on the best. So I think it's more about, okay, can we change the manner in which it produces at this high level? And I, I think that, that, that uh, one of the reasons that I think I have hope is like the Blue Jays had the best offense in baseball. They won 92 games. Who on the Blue Jays you know, had, a, had a truly breakout season, right? Manoa, sure. And Kirk. Yeah, and I like maybe, I mean, he didn't have better numbers, but Romano just doing it an extra year, you're a little more certain Mm -hmm. in that. But yeah, Mm -hmm. there's not like Gosman was Gosman, Barrios and Kikuchi underperformed, Stripling overperformed. That's probably the one guy you can put at the top Mm -hmm. of the list there. But yeah, you go up Mm -hmm. and down their order and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was down from 2021. Bo ended up basically where he is. Springer was more or less to form. Teoscar took a small step back. Um, Chapman was up and down, ended in a good spot, but but kind of, you know, oscillated around that mean. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying that, you know, this was maybe, and maybe this is like the, the 40th percentile outcome, not like the 20th percentile outcome. Uh, but, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a pretty good base to, to build from. Now, some of the things that Atkins got into yesterday were similar to what you just said, right? Like part of the issue with trying to upgrade is – who are you taking out of that starting nine that is upgradable and doesn't isn't like a star, right? So mm-hmm. where I get curious then is if there is, you know, I think a lot of times people look at, well, who's a bad team that might want to get rid of a guy who's close to free agency or something like that. I don't think it necessarily has to be that. There are teams in win now mode who have surpluses at different positions. Um, The St. Louis Cardinals have come up as a potential catcher for outfielder swap partner. Uh, The San Diego Padres are a team that the Jays have always kind of felt like a a potential trade match for. Um, Is there any team out there or any particular player that you look at and you're like, you know what? This team maybe wouldn't be better individual for individual, but they would be lined up a little better or maybe improve a little bit defensively, uh, have a little bit more versatility. Is that is that guy or that trade out there in your estimation? I, it's absolutely out there because because the guy that I want to trade is the one that nobody you don't want to trade, right? The guy that has an insane amount of value, and that's Kirk. Mm-hmm. So if, if you go knocking on doors and you're saying, we have three catchers, you, we know how much you need one. We know how much you like Kirk. I mean, look at this, look at what he did last year. You can you can get a lot of interesting pieces if you go to St. To, to St. Louis and say, you know, when's Jack Flaherty a free agent? You know, which one of these cardinal bots that you churn out of there, like 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 orcs, like these high contact left handed hitters who can play corner outfield? You know, which one of those are you willing to part with? Because you know, we would it would kill us to lose to lose Kirky, but man this might be a good fit for us. And I think San Diego is, is another good option because, because I, Kirk is the one I think that you can have, that has the most value that you could get the most in return for that would make a bet that would offset the loss, right? What mm-hmm. comes back is going to offset what you would lose in losing Kirk. Now there's a gamble. Of course, Danny Jansen is, is, is hurt all the time. 
And Gabriel Moreno's got like what thirty or forty big league assets. Like yeah. that's there's risk. There's a ton of risk in trading Kirk. You're trading a guy who is coming off a four win season, who had like what like a three eighty away on base. Maybe not that high. But it was three eighty on base percentage. But like you know the things that Kirk does well are clear, but the things that Kirk doesn't do as well to me are also clear. And those are the things that make me think that I'm I'm willing to listen if if an upgrade for my team writ large is, is out there. If there's an opportunity to make this team harder to play against when you're good and when they're good and when they're bad, then, then I'm willing to listen. And, and of course, you know, the, the first call I make is to the angels, but that's not, that's neither here nor there. Yes. Chris Black and I were at game two sitting next to Mike Petriello and uh, yeah, just badgering him with show hypotheticals. So um, I, we didn't sell him on one, so I don't know if we could sell the angels on one, but yes, you're making that call for sure. Um, Drew, a follow on the, the catcher situation. I think you're right that Kirk is probably, the most natural to trade in terms of what else you have and what other teams might be interested in. Now, if we set the sights just a little lower and say that what you end up shopping for is, um, you know, a lefty or switch hitting outfielder who can play some center or some corner, um, you, you know, we're, we're not talking a Kirk level player, Danny Jansen's two years from free agency. He's projected to make a, a little under $4 million this year. That's not a lot of money for what Danny Jansen provides. Uh, but do you explore the the potential for, you know, you start having those Kirk talks and the return isn't there, um, but that's a return that maybe you're willing to put a Danny Jansen in? Or does all the things that this team says about Jansen and how he manages a staff and things like that, like is that too hard to move off of for you, especially when your second catcher is going to be such a young and inexperienced guy? I think that they, there's a, they have a lot of organizational equity in Danny Jansen, yeah. I think, and it, it, to me, which is exactly what you just said, that the idea of trading him is, excuse me, is um, is a little bit more daunting. Like, you know, And I also think that the return is less. I think if you trade Kirk, you're getting a ton back. And that Jan- Danny Jansen is, has, probably has more value to the Blue Jays than he would to anybody else because of that, because of that, in, that organizational equity, mm-hmm. because, uh, because of the time that he's put in. Where, and it's the Kyle team, Lowry thing. Kyle Lowry yeah. is more valuable to the Raptors because he knows every player on the Raptors roster and how to optimize them than Kyle Lowry might be somewhere else. It's yeah. And catcher's probably the position where that makes the most sense. Exactly. And, and, you know, if we're sitting here and we're having this conversation, you and I about who, you know, about another team's catcher and they're like, Oh yeah, he's hurt all the time. He's played like 60 games a year for the past four years. Then he's a free agent two two years. Like that doesn't, that doesn't encapsulate Danny Jansen, but that's, how you were going to see it maybe from the outside. So I think Danny Jansen is more valuable to the Blue Jays than he is to anybody else. The Kyle Lowry example is a great one. So I would probably be less inclined to deal Jansen. That's a lot on Moreno. Um, but, and, and, and you know, there's, there's a chance. Like, I, I, in a way, I hope I'm wrong. Right? I, think, I hope I'm selling Kirk short because he is such a great story and he did have such a strong year. But I, I do really think that he, if, it's for, if it's me, if it's my decision to make, there's so much more value in him that I could probably extract that's going to make the team better um, for 2023 and beyond. So our pal Joe Wolfon texted in a question and I, I'm going to throw it out there just to, to throw a name by you and more because it's, it's as much a philosophical and like risk 
um, risk profile question as anything else. The center fielder that Joe Wolfond would like, now he hits right-handed, um, is Byron Buxton, who obviously has years left under his deal. He's under contract through 2028. Um, but the obvious concern there is he has played more than 100 games once in his career. Now, when you're already dealing with the George Springer type, do you have to aim a little more you know, high floor than high ceiling when, when you're, if you're addressing an outfield position. Yeah, I think that, I, I don't think that, I, I love Byron Buxton. He's one of the most talented players in the league, as we've seen when, when he's healthy, but he's not. And if, is that a, is that a Minnesota thing? Is that, a, is that a, their sport science department is not able to help him be at his best and, and, and be healthy and be on the field? I don't know. But even if he's, you know, when he is at his best or, or when you look at him, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like if you zoom out, how much better is he on balance in terms of like value delivered at the end of the year than Teoscar Hernandez, right? Who does play every day. And, yeah, and I mean, he has been worth eight wins over 150 games the last two years. But that's 150 games in two years. Yes, right? so, yes, so yeah, that's he's the big thing. Level talent. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, I don't know, and and I think that that it, it, you get into these these interesting philosophical questions, like in terms of which comes back to what we started talking about, which is like, how do the Blue Jays upgrade? Do they upgrade by taking on a high floor, a high ceiling guy who might miss 75 games? Do they, is it worth, you know, bringing on, you know where I'm going with this, bringing on like a, like a, uh, a wild card, like somebody who needs to reestablish value, who's coming mm-hmm. into free agency and, and you know, a great year with, you know, a version a different version of Marcus Simeon, right? Someone who does the things the Blue Jays need. Like, is that, is that, is that much of a, is that long shot worth it when the the goal is to win playoff rounds where this guy could come up and be, you know, below replacement level as he was for the Yankees for most of the year in, in my hypothetical head. So <laughs> you, you have to start to, to do those tweaks, right? I think we saw, we saw what having a high floor can do with, with this year's, with this year's Blue Jays team. So it, it, it's a matter of what can they do to ratchet the floor up even higher or is it, more more gamble and more risk in that like maybe the floor isn't any high but the ceiling is is absolutely higher which might be that might might be the choice might be the the difference between having a good but unspect unspectacular team that didn't make noise in the playoffs as was expected or rolling the dice a little bit and then ending up with a team that misses the playoffs and then everybody loses their job or wins the world series going away so it's hard to say so let's last one for you drew um if you are you are Ross Atkins, or you you get Ross Atkins' phone and could do enough of an impression that people believe you're Ross Atkins, um, the trade trade window opens today at two thirty four p.m. Like right now, at what day and time has your number been blocked by the Los Angeles Angels? Almost right away. <laughs> Almost right away. Like I, I'm just spamming like you up, you up, Perry. What's good, Perry? What's going on? What do you think? Do you like Bo? Do you like Kirky? What, what do you think? Like, maybe not blocked, but, you know, I, 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 I think I may have used this term before you as well, that like, with you, I should say, are you trying to get a deal? Or are you trying to make a deal? <laughs> and if you're the Blue Jays and you're trying to upgrade and you're trying to win the World Series and take an already good team, make it even better, you can't be up there trying to get a deal. You need to go out there and make a deal. And that might, that's going to involve some difficult choices. And when you're on the phone with Terry Manazian, you need to be trying to make a deal. So, just keep piling them on. More, more picks, more kids, more kids, more kids, and off you go. We'll, uh, we'll keep kicking the tires on that one. Uh, Drew Fairservice, thanks so much for taking the time out today and all season, buddy. My, friend, my pleasure. It is a 
It has been my pleasure. Thank you for putting out such a great show for all the Blue Jays fans all season long. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Drew Fairservice of the Spin Rate Podcast. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will. Uh, I use the Joe Wolfond question there. We will take a look at a couple more of your questions. We'll have about 15 minutes uh, to go through some big offseason questions with you after the break. That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. They're coming. Not until May 2023, but they're coming. Um, we got about 15 minutes left here. We're going to take some of your texts uh, about the Jay's offseason. We got a text during the break from Matt Tierney, TFC legend, former Raptors legend, Matt Tierney, uh, a pillar in the Toronto sports community. He asks what it would take to get Sandy Alcantara from... Miami. My answer to him was probably too much that you'd then be like, hey, what about Pablo Lopez instead? Um, Now, Sandy Alcantara has the benefit of having had a better season and being locked up through 2027. The Marlins might like that level of, uh, of certainty. Pablo Lopez, half a year younger than Sandy Alcantara and also a pretty good year, a pretty good run of play for him. In general, ERAs of 361, 307, and 375 uh, the last three years. Also pitched 180 innings this year. So uh, I know with Alcantara, the the shiny item is the innings pitch, which absolutely. He threw 205 innings last year and 228 this year. He is uh, the last workhorse should be a nickname for him, I believe. Um, however, there are some reasonable questions about the... Um, lesser swing and miss stuff. Not that obviously he's extremely good. Um, and the high ground ball rate is, is projectable forward and not walking anyone is great. I'm just saying if it costs you twice as much for Sandy Alcantara as it does for Pablo Lopez, you may be shopping the Pablo Lopez bin. That's all. Um, we got, there are a few questions about the catcher situation. I think drew did a good job laying out what that looks like with, with a Kirk or a Jansen. I, I think without saying it, Drew and I were in agreement that Gabriel Moreno is probably the least likely of the three to go. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. There's an upside component. There's a, a longevity component, a, a control component. So not entirely sure. Look, if it's a Jose Ramirez type, like we were talking about Gabriel Moreno in trades last year because Jose Ramirez was the name coming back. You're not doing that to you know, strengthen the bullpen or make sure you, you get a, uh, a lefty bat in there or something like that. If it's a star level player, everything is on the table. So um, a couple questions about the, now there's a, a follow-up here, Dan from G town. Uh, I assume that's Georgetown, which makes me assume Dan is from Newfoundland. Uh, I hope I'm right. Uh, anyway, he says, if Kirk is so good, why did no team go after him? He's a flash in the pan. Um, I'm not really sure what you mean because, Kirk is a blue Jay. It's not like the, it's not like another team can um, come and just like sign him for more money or or steal him or something like that. Um, He's been in the blue Jay system for uh, a while now going back to 2017. uh, So he's a homegrown talent. Um, You'd have to go back to 2017, 2016 and be like, why did no one grab him then? Now, if you just mean, why has no one traded for him yet? Takes two to tango. And I don't know that in the middle of a playoff race, the Jays were, super willing to trade their cleanup hitting catcher. Andrew from Kitchener 
shout out to the region asks, do you move boat a second and look for a left-handed shortstop Springer to right field and a new center fielder can Chapman play shortstop now? Okay. I'll start with the last one first. Chapman could play shortstop in a pinch. We saw Troy gloss do it. Um, I think Chapman could do it. Do you want him to do it? No, he has a cannon for an arm and, and he's an elite, elite third baseman. Um, you'd rather him there. He lets you have your shortstop cheat a little bit as we saw with Bo Bichette this year, because if Chapman's range is wider then Bichette can play a little close to second, cover a little bit more himself, um, do a little bit better on, on those balls going to his left. The Springer to right field one is more interesting. Um, I like the way Chris Black framed it with us yesterday, which is that maybe instead of being 90 games in center and 40 in a corner next year, it's 40 games in center and 90 in a corner. And then, you know, the DH games on top of that, you would then through that logic be going out, acquire a center fielder who no disrespect to Tapia and Merrifield and Zimmer and everyone else who played center this year. None of those guys are, are someone you want in there every day, either for, offensive reasons or defensive reasons. So yeah, that that's something that I would address. The bow thing is harder. It depends how those contract negotiations are going. It depends on what your internal metrics say about a shortstop play relative to um, the rest of the, the rest of the publicly available metrics. Um, that's a hard conversation to have. If, you, if you're also trying to lock a guy up as part of your long-term core, uh, if you are not as committed to that, maybe it's easier Um but if you're not as committed to that, Bobachet is also probably someone you maybe think about in a much larger Gillick style trade. Um, now, someone Doug from Grimsby asked if it's time to consider trading Bo for a veteran defensive infielder and prospects. No, I, I would say definitely not that. If you're trading Bobachet, it's for another borderline star level player as part of a bigger package prospects don't do a lot for you right now. Sure. They restock the system and you can turn around and move those guys. But line that up at the time, then make it a, a three-way trade or something like that. Um, prospects don't do a ton for you. As for a defensive-minded veteran infielder, I kind of think you have that without the veteran tag. Santiago Espinal is really good defensively. It's second, third, and short. I think if you wanted a defensive upgrade in your infield, it would just be using Espinal more overall and using him more um, on the left side of the infield as needed. So... Um, Jay from London asks, why are we not talking about Atkins? Um, we are. We spent that whole segment talking about Atkins. We spent all of Monday talking about Atkins um, as well as yesterday. So, uh, yeah, the the money, the deals for Kikuchi and Barrios look like not the greatest. Um, some of those trades at the deadline. I mean, we said at the deadline, we said entering the year that the weaknesses were what the weaknesses are. That's, it, it was disappointing to see them not addressed um, in a in a higher capacity. The other reason, Jay, from London, why we're not talking about Atkins is Mark Shapiro hasn't had a media availability. You can't really ask Ross Atkins, hey, man, what's your job security like? Are you, are you on the hot seat? Um, I don't think he is. I think this front office takes a, a little bit of a more step-back approach to those kind of questions. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say it's certainly notable that they changed the manager mid-year they made a bunch of trades at the trade deadline that didn't really move the needle and didn't address existing holes. Like that stuff is not lost on me. And I'm sure it's not lost on um, Atkins or his bosses. 
AJ and Brampton says a good offseason could be sign Brendan Nimmo um, and Michael Brantley, then flip Lourdes Gurriel or Teoscar Hernandez for prospects and some bullpen help. Again, the prospects thing, it, it's never a bad thing to have more prospects, but when you're in win now mode, I don't know that that should be high on your list. Now, Teoscar Hernandez would have an interesting market where it's probably only good win now teams interested in him because he's going to be 30. He's going to make a lot of money. He's going to be a pending free agent. Um, so yeah, maybe one of those teams wants to kick you back prospects instead of, uh, instead of win now assets. Um, less Etobicoke is on kind of the same thing. We've talked forever on becoming more left-handed or at least not the same right-handed swing. Um, what if you move Springer to right, what switch hitting or left-handed center fielders do you see available? Um, and then could do the Jays have the assets to get it done? That's a really good question, Les. Um, there's a Brian Reynolds, as you mentioned. Riley Green is probably too tough to pluck. Um, you can look at Dylan Carlson and Lars Newtbar in St. Louis, a team that's going to need a catcher this offseason. Um, this is not the bat you'd want, but defensively, Trent Grisham in San Diego might be superfluous once Fernando Tatis is back, depending what they do with him positionally. So that's a spot you could maybe look at a, a win-win trade. Um, there are not a lot of left-handed and switch-hitting center fielders around baseball who played a lot of center and hit particularly well. I kind of half-joked yesterday that Rymal Tapia was high on that list. Um, so, yeah, a, a Brandon Nimmo type becomes then, uh, you know, an, an interesting target there are there are a lot of names out there we could explore and we've got a whole offseason for that. But I, I do I get what a lot of you in the text line, we won't get to all of them, are looking at here and looking for. And that's, you know, a little more versatility lineup wise and maybe an extra pair of legs to play center field. I think that's a completely reasonable way uh for the text line to be approaching uh the offseason. Um there are a couple more questions that that kind of repeat what we've talked about and, and we're running short on time here so i'm not going to get to all of them uh so i apologize for that jen and to says getting rid of castillo and nick frazzo might come back to haunt them i'm not too worried about max castillo i didn't really like that trade um you know a pair of triple a depth guys for what at that time looked like a, a backup or utility infielder who's you know owed money next year still I didn't love that. Max Castillo's ceiling is not super high. Nick Frasso is an interesting one because given what he looks like and the development that he had this year, like that's a guy who, if you were to decide at an early enough point that you don't think he's a starter or you don't think the value's there and waiting on him be becoming a starter, the path to the majors as a reliever could be pretty quick because he throws a hundred. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty good. Uh, again, uh, a lot of text in the text line that I'm not going to uh, get to um, because, again, there there are a lot of them and we're running out of time here. So I, I appreciate you guys asking them um, today and all season. And I say that note of appreciation because little announcement burying the lead of this episode here. This is a season finale of Jay's Talk Plus. This will be the last one we do uh, for a while I think probably what, what will happen is as things come up in the offseason, might drop the old one-off in the podcast feed. So make sure you're still subscribed to the Blue Jays Talk podcast feed. Um, of course, Blair and Barker will continue on doing the baseball show um, throughout the playoffs. I'm not going anywhere. Um, the next two days, I'm going to be in the same slot 
doing uh, just a sports set today. Um, we're going to just turn the page to a little bit of Raptors stuff. The Raptors start up next week. They've got their final preseason game uh, on Friday. So we will pivot in that direction. Uh, it has been a lot of fun doing Jays Talk Plus this year. Thank you all for for listening and coming along with us. Obviously, there are a lot of guests we've had, um, and I can't thank them enough for helping make this show. Um, Derek Brandeo, board up behind the glass, uh, has been tremendous to work with as well. Um, and yeah, me making him play all the music very specifically at specific cues was probably annoying, but I appreciate it. Um, J.R. Monatod is not in today but he's been my producer for most of the summer Uh, a huge thank you to him again for dealing with me but also helping us line up that really consistent um carousel of guests for jay's talk plus thanks to tristan too he's back there helping me out as a as producer today um and he's filled in a couple times so i appreciate that as well this has been a really fun year for me i've always been a big baseball fan and uh i i've always really enjoyed baseball analysis um if any of you follow me on twitter the odc in my twitter handle is stands for on deck circle which was the name of my very first blog which was like a baseball analytics thing um so this has been really cool for me to get to do this full time and really dive into what's been a fun blue jays year um i don't get to do that without good listenership and without good engagement and lots of texts in the text line and on twitter and things like that so uh thank you very much to all of you and to everyone uh, behind the glass who's helped make that happen uh kipper and born coming up next i don't know if you know this the toronto maple leafs season starts tonight I might be somewhere else during that game watching a certain something that we don't mention on this network, but I can't wait to watch that one on PVR when I get home. Kipper and Bourne are going to break it down for you uh, next. Of course, you've also got the J.D. Bunkus, Justin Bourne, Sam McKee post game now as well, in addition to our, our radio post game. Check all that stuff out. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Raptor stuff at 2 o'clock.